From SciWorks Winston-Salem, I'm Sean Fitzmaurice, and this is SciWorks Radio. Launched in 2006, NASA's New Horizons space probe made its historic flyby of the dwarf planet Pluto on July 14th. For regularly updated information about Pluto and its moon Charon, check out SciWorks.org Pluto. There you'll find a companion blog to this recording with links and details. For an update of the science coming in from New Horizon, check out SciWorks Radio on 88.5 WFDD on July 26th to be archived at WFDD.org. I wanted to get some background information to SciWorks Radio listeners, and to do this, I spoke with Jonathan Ward, volunteer NASA JPL Solar System Ambassador and author of two brand new books about the Apollo space missions. New Horizons is a space probe that was first proposed about uh, 22 years ago, 23 years ago, and... Uh, Pluto being the the last major body in the solar system that hadn't been explored yet at that point. And uh, there was talk about trying to find some sort of way to get a probe out there in a reasonable amount of time at a reasonable cost to be able to see what the Pluto system looked like. There was a bit of a hurry to get it out there because we were starting to realize that Pluto has a dynamic atmosphere that actually starts to freeze away and, and, and uh, condense onto its surface as it moves farther away from the sun. So the thought was that if we didn't get a probe to Pluto before it started moving farther away from the sun in its orbit, that we might miss the opportunity to, to study its atmosphere. So that's why there was a bit of a hurry to get it, uh, the mission off when they did. Pluto is 3 billion miles from Earth, and we needed to get there fast. So NASA made it the fastest probe ever launched. How'd they do that? Number one, we made a smaller probe than 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 usual. Some of the other ones like uh, Cassini are just absolutely huge and, and very heavy because they have a lot of maneuvering fuel, and they actually had to have a lot of fuel to be able to put them into orbit around Saturn. New Horizons is smaller. It's about the size of a baby grand piano, and it is powered by a uh, radioisotopic thermal generator, a plutonium power supply that provides heat, which is turned into electricity. There is very little maneuvering fuel on there, and that's mostly used just for helping to orient the spacecraft. In fact, New Horizons has no propulsion system at all. It was released into space at about 36,000 miles per hour. It reached the moon's distance in one day. For comparison, the Apollo astronauts took three days to get to the moon. It traveled so fast that it reached Jupiter in an unprecedented one year. It then got a gravitational slingshot boost from Jupiter, which added an additional 9,000 miles per hour. New Horizons was also built for efficiency and survival. There are very few moving parts on the uh, on the spacecraft, again, because, number one, the, the long duration of the mission, things tend to break down if you're using them a lot in in, uh, in cold environments. It's also extremely cold as, you know, getting close to absolute zero when you get out towards the Pluto distance from the Earth uh, and from the sun. So most of these instruments are just fixed in place. Even the, uh, the cameras, there was no swinging platform on there like there have been on other missions that can move the, the cameras around. They just, they would take pictures by just pointing the spacecraft instead of moving the cameras themselves. New Horizons is stocked with an array of science instruments. They're very, very low power instruments as well. This is one of the most energy efficient spacecraft out there. All of the instruments together draw less than 28 watts. So that's about the same as a, as a nightlight. The main ones that, that people are going to be most interested in that I, I think you know we're we're a visual species. We we like to see pictures, and you know that's that's true for the uh, the Mars rovers as well as any of the other types of missions. The two ones that, that we'll primarily be seeing pictures from are Ralph, which is a um, a regular type of camera in terms of not being telephoto, but it also can take pictures in in uh, various wavelengths of light, so that it can it can detect. Uh, chemical compositions in the atmosphere and also on the surface of Pluto. Ralph is the primary camera 
Then the, the uh, long range camera is called Lori, L-O-R-R-I. And that's a tel- like an eight inch telephoto lens that's attached to uh, New Horizons. And that's going to give us our most detailed view of the satellite Charon as well as Pluto. Then there are a number of different instruments on there. There's a student dust counter, which is an interesting thing. This is the first student-built student built experiment that's ever been flown on an interplanetary probe before. It was built by the uh, students at the University of Colorado. And so it's going to be looking for particles that resulted from the collision of asteroids or, or small bodies in, in the, uh, the Pluto environment. REX is a, uh, is a radio device that actually is going to be looking for how um, a signal that's transmitted from Earth passes through Pluto's atmosphere or Sharon's atmosphere, if there is one, to add to be able to characterize the thickness of that atmosphere. So normally when they do what it's called an occultation type of experiment, where they see how the the strength of that beam changes as it moves from being blocked by the the, the planet to the signal uh, not being blocked or being or going through the atmosphere. Normally it's the spacecraft transmitting back to earth that sends that signal. And we, we measure the difference in how that goes because New Horizons is so far away and the transmitter is so weak, they're actually doing it in reverse. They're having the signal come from Earth and be measured by New Horizons as it, as Earth moves out from behind Pluto as seen by the spacecraft. Pepsi, as I started talking about, is the Pluto Energetic Particle Spectrometer Science Investigation. It's actually looking for particles that are escaping from Pluto's atmosphere. One of the things that's interesting about Pluto that we uh, want to learn about more about is is that it's gradually losing atmosphere to the outer solar system because it has such a weak gravity it, it loses on the on the order of tons of atmosphere every day you know we think something like this might have happened at mars that mars had a thicker atmosphere at one point in the past again not having a strong enough either magnetosphere to keep it from being bumped uh, taken away by the solar wind and also not having a strong enough gravity to keep some of the lighter elements around mars eventually lost most of its atmosphere so if we can characterize what's going on at pluto that will help us understand how planets like mars lost their atmosphere over the course of the uh, the history of the solar system well there's a solar wind at pluto uh, experiment called swap which is measuring the strength of the solar wind and how it interacts those are the the major instruments that are that are on uh, new horizons and again it's a very sophisticated set of instruments they're very low power but they're also very very sophisticated for their time uh, they were talking, uh, the scientists were saying yesterday is that as New Horizons moves past Pluto and out into the Kuiper Belt, traversing the same type of area that Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 have been moving into, but with a much better set of science uh, instruments than we had 40 years ago when, when Voyager 1 and 2 were launched. New Horizons is also carrying a very special payload. Mounted to the probe is a canister, which reads, Interned herein are the remains of American Clyde W. Tombaugh, discoverer of Pluto and the solar system's third zone. Inside the canister is a small amount of ashes, remains of the man who discovered Pluto. Discovered in 1930, Pluto was considered our solar system's ninth planet until August of 2006, when it was reclassified as a dwarf planet, meaning that it's large enough to be spherical, but small enough that it doesn't clear its orbit of debris. There are several known dwarf planets, and we'll be talking about them in a future episode of SciWorks Radio. Having launched in January 2006, Pluto was only considered a planet during the first seven months that the probe was in flight. Regardless of classification, Pluto and its moon Charon are shaping up to be incredibly interesting. I think uh, one of the things that, that most surprised me today with the, with the press conference was how surprised they were about what's going on there. That you know, by, by looking at the surface of Pluto just in a couple of photographs and suddenly realizing how absolutely new the surface looks. 
it's being resurfaced somehow, either by snows coming, you know, methane snows coming down or, or something like that. But they were, uh, I think, unprepared for how few craters there were on the surface of Pluto or on Charon. But it will take a while to get all the data. Transmission is is a very low power transmitter too. I believe it's just a couple of watts, but it's also a very low transmission speed. When the uh, when Pluto is just above the horizon, as seen from the Deep Space Network, it trans the probe transmits at about a thousand bits a second. When it gets higher up in the sky, it's about four thousand bits a second. So a very slow dial up rate, even slower than dial up uh, type of rate. You know, you've got basically two gigabytes worth of data that are stored in the spacecraft hard drive. It's actually a solid state drive. So uh, two gigabytes worth of memory that's got to be transmitted back at 4,000 bits a second. It's going to take a while for that data to come back to the Earth. There's going to be a lot of interesting discoveries coming down over the next 16 months. I guess that's one of the things that's exciting about this is we'll continue to learn new things for 16 months, even though the flyby only lasted a brief period of time. That data is going to take a while to come back to us. And uh, I think we're going to get our... uh, our ideas stood on their head here as we go through the, the course of the next year and a half or so. To think that the entire solar system has been explored in my lifetime is just, um, it's kind of a, an amazing thing. I did a talk the other day about uh, the Apollo program, and uh, I, I was, uh, again, just talking about how fortunate we are to live in, a, in an age of exploration like this. And, and, and I think there are opportunities like this, like there was in Apollo 8 when we first got the, the picture of the Earth rising over the edge of the moon and, and seeing the whole Earth at one time. It's opportunities like this that cause us to reflect back on just who we are, you know, in relation to the rest of the universe. You know, we, we get so centered on what's going on in our day-to-day lives in a very small area around us or, you know, maybe our country or even... Uh, Uh, the continent we're on, and then we kind of forget that there are all these worlds out there billions and billions of miles away, and, um, you know, that we're just a small speck of things going on in the rest of the universe. It really does kind of force us to stand back and and take measure of ourselves, I think. Be sure to check out SciWorks Pluto page at SciWorks.org slash Pluto. Learn more about SciWorks Radio and connect to the four-minute broadcast episodes at SciWorks.org slash radio. All episodes archived at WFDD.org. SciWorks Radio is a production of SciWorks and WFDD and is supported in part by the Piedmont Triad Office of the NC Biotechnology Center. Music by Storyman. 